Welcome back, everybody, to the Voices for Blogging podcast, where we have faces for radio and voices for blogging. You can find us on the Podbean app, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you find your podcasts, and our Instagram page, at Voices for Blogging. As always, I'm Steve Lee here in Honolulu, and Roy Samano in L.A. What's up? How's it going, Roy? See, we have a guest today, don't we? We have a guest today. It's a three-timer guest. We've got to give him the three-timer jacket. Ken Ye. <laughs> nice, but glad to be back. It's just well, like Saturday Ken's... Night Live, except uh, way more prestigious. Ken's like our lucky charm. He's <laughs> two for two. You know, we I, I were hear, joking I hear... in a sec... Yeah, we are joking in that second show that after we had our conversation, Eth would kind of wake up and run. Well, um, Royce calls it the Ken effect. Whenever yeah. I go on this podcast, the price of Ethereum at least goes up twenty to thirty percent. Yeah, you know, on, on a on a typical appearance on the show, <laughs> sometimes so more. We're going to spend some time talking about that a lot today, since you know, Royce and I have been talking, you know, off off mic that we kind of feel like Ethereum is about to break out. That it's kind of built a pretty good base here, right about this three thousand level for this last week or so. And it kind of seems ready to kind of pop a little bit. What do you think, Ken? Yeah, no, I'm with you guys on this. Um, I'm with Royce on this. We we talk about it, you know, extensively, actually. And, and it has a lot to do with EIP-1559, which was implemented in the last uh, hard fork, the London hard fork back in uh, earlier this month. And I think, uh, you know, for those who don't know what the hard fork was about, it included several uh, improvements. Uh, EIPs are what they call Ethereum improvement protocols. And one of them was number 1559, which um, basically burned the base rate, basically burnt, it burns Ethereum. So effectively the emission or the inflation rate of Ethereum dropped because um, the rewards that were given out to the miners have, I think after about two or three weeks now, about a third, more than a third of it now is being burnt. So effectively the emission inflation rate of Ethereum dropped by 33% after the uh, EIP was implemented. So essentially, that kind of takes some of the supply out of the market, out of circulation, essentially? So what we're yeah, talking about? essentially. I mean, there were, I think there was, I think what people on the, you know, that I've read talk about, I don't know who, who was that came up with this term, but the, tr- the triple halving, uh, or having the triple halving that, the halving event, which happens for Bitcoin every four years, there was there's kind of a similar event for ethereum but like tripled and the first one occurred um earlier or late last year uh, in december when uh, ethereum uh launched the phase zero of ethereum 2.0 and what that did was effectively it, it created a, it allowed people to start staking their ethereum in a 2.0 contract where it basically takes that ethereum out of circulation and puts it, you know, allows you to earn some interest on it or earn some yield on it um, or mine with it through the proof of stake protocol that was created back in, you know, that was launched in uh, in December. So I think there's like several million Ethereum now uh, deposited into that 2.0 contract. And effectively, that's basically taking Ethereum out of circulation. And, and right. in a way, that's kind of like, you know, it's reducing emission, right? Because right. Ethereum is getting locked away into this contract. And then 
soon after that, I mean, eight months after that, there was this, you know, EIP-1559, which, again, you know, is removing Ethereum from circulation. And I think the one that's coming up at the end of the year, uh, the, the Great Migration, they're calling it the, uh, you know, the, the merge, the Great Merge uh, at the end of the year, that's going to remove even more. Um, right, well, right. that's going to reduce the, the inflation of Ethereum dramatic, dramatically. In fact, that one's probably going to be the one that has the most impact on Ethereum's emission. Uh, it's going to drop it from, you know, I think it's, I don't know what it is right now, like before 1559, I think it was like 4 or 5%. It's going to drop it down to like one percent. I mean, it depends on how much participation there is, but they're they're talking about like one percent or less than one percent uh, inflation after uh, emission after that is implemented. So, Ken, here's yep. the more important question: When Moon? <laughs> yeah, good question. Good question. I mean, I think people are starting to realize that Ethereum is no longer the snail, right? Because for about five years. They've been talking about Ethereum doing something. This 2.0 thing has been talked about since before, um, you know, if, right around the ICO. I mean, you know, bef- when they first did, you know, did the uh, uh, the, the genesis of, of Ethereum one, they were talking about 2.0 already. And it's what that was 2015, you know. And so, for a long, long time, nothing happened. Nothing, you know. They were talking about this thing, this great new you know, version of Ethereum and nothing happened. There's Casper, there's, you know, different approaches to doing this proof of stake and nothing happened. And then suddenly everything's happening all at once. Yeah. I mean, they, they've been talking about proof of stake. They've been talking about sharding. They've been talking about rollups at least that I can remember since like 2016. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were discussing that stuff even like even before that probably because, you know, I, I was, I've been following them for quite some time and, you know, I've been. I was hearing about you know these this, the great promise of all these you know you know throughput increases and um, all these great new you know advancements, and it's just been so slow for so many years. And then, like I said, this year, like this past twelve months, like a bunch of stuff got added to Ethereum, right? And a bunch more stuff's coming up at the end of the year. Hopefully, at the end of the year, maybe early next year. But the point is, like things are moving, and. All the people that were like betting against Ethereum, because Ethereum wasn't adding anything, wasn't you know improving anything, wasn't you know making the changes, you know it wasn't evolving. Um, now they're looking at it and going, wait a minute, maybe they are able to execute, maybe they are able to get things done, right? And and I think that investment thesis is changing. I mean, to to their credit too, I I think that Ethereum as a platform has gotten a lot better since back in the day, right? I think back when CryptoKitties and the ICOs, that really slowed the chain down quite a bit. But even with a lot of usage today with NFTs and, you know, the DEXs and DeFi, the blockchain hasn't really gotten that congested like it did in 2017, at least to me. I agree, I agree. When they did those ICOs, I mean... The the amount of time it. it took for those transactions to to get through were like hours. There would be hours, sometimes days of congestion, right? Yeah, yeah. days yeah, where yeah. you couldn't get you couldn't use the network, or you had to pay an enormous price to use it. And yeah. Yeah. you know now, sure, you know DeFi has taken off, and um, there's a lot more use cases with NFTs and all, all these new great you know products that are coming out on on Ethereum. But the point is, like, it's still usable. 
and you don't have to wait hours for things to happen. You know, on top of on top of that usage and some of that uh, supply coming offline, the other thing that Royce and I talked about in our last episode is when you look at the DeFi market, uh, there's so much less money levered right now in the last couple months. It went from a high of 98, I think it was like 98 mil or something. Like, it, was, it was a crazy amount of money, 90, 90 million or something like that, to down to being to be like 53 in July. And all the while, the cryptos have been rallying. And I kind of make that akin to when you watch the stock market and you look at the options market, you know, or you look at the VIX. When the VIX is too low at some point in time, it kind of represents some complacency in the market. I make that akin to when you look at the DeFi market. You know, if we look at what the highs were in May, that might be our signal at some point in time where too much froth is in the system and maybe that might be a time to kind of cash in some chips. But right now, with crypto going up, whether it be Bitcoin, Ethereum, or Litecoin, all of them are rallying while DeFi is decreasing. So less levered money potentially chasing some of these investments it almost feels like it's stronger hands holding some of these coins right now. Yeah, I think the China, you know, crackdown on mining, I think was was the instigator for all, a lot of deleveraging. You know, that that scare, the regulatory, the the China scare, um, that really made that really got rid of. In, in a way, it was actually kind of good. It got rid of all that leverage because people were either wiped out or got scared away. And they decided either or even to go short, right? There was even a lot of short positions betting against Bitcoin and Ethereum, and I think that a lot of that leverage, that negative leverage, the, the, you know, the, the the downward pressure, actually got erased as well because you know, as, as you can see, Ethereum's made a nice comeback, Bitcoin's made a nice comeback. I think that that those short positions got liquidated as well. So it's kind of it's kind of we're back on par now. I feel like we're back kind of like fresh slate and. It's built a nice base around three thousand. You know, Ethereum's built a base, nice base around three thousand, and mm-hmm. Bitcoin's built a nice base, nice base around forty k. Um, right. So that's it's very healthy actually. Um, but like I, I think the one the one thing that I don't think the market really priced in, and I and, and we talked about it already a little bit is is that one five five nine the EIP one five five nine. I really feel like, um, and Royce and I talked about this a little bit before, but the the I so. To understand it fully, you have to understand what was happening on Ethereum, right? And going back to Ethereum a little bit more, you know, versus the whole crypto market. Um, what happened with one five five nine was just, you know, it. There were a lot of people extracting money out of Ethereum's ecosystem. You know, these um, MEVs, minor extractive value. The people were front running. People were doing different things to try to profit from the, you know the trading. Um, what what EIP one five five nine did. Was really remove a lot of that. Um, people are still doing it, but now they can't do it as profitably. Mm-hmm. So um, one five five nine kind of made it. Um, it it turned into a, a. It made Ethereum kind of revenue generating, because the the base fee that was being burned is like kind of like Ethereum's revenue stream. When you make tra- when you make transactions, it's taking a, the the base fee and saying this is mine, and then it's burning it, right? Ethereum, the Ethereum protocol, and in essence, it benefits everyone that's that owns Ethereum. So, um, and so when you take away all that sell pressure, which is because that money would have gone into the hands of a lot of these, you know, bots 
or these you know arbitrage people doing arbitrage people just sucking money out of ethereum and what they're really doing once they get that ethereum like let's say they take that base fee in their in their pockets they just dump it you know they usually just dump it for for usdc or some stable coin and they're pocketing that profit and you know why not right because they're just it's free money for them they're just taking and selling ethereum so that's just constant sell pressure going in back into the ecosystem Um, what EIP-1559 did was remove all that pressure Mm -hmm. for all the selling pressure and and look what happened to the price right Right. and and, you know so yeah Royce I mean you know we talk about this a lot right Royce yeah we talk about it a lot but I was just about to say that those dirty miners (laughs) well it's not so much just the miners it's the mining pools and it's those the, the, the bots that are just extracting value but now they can't like a lot of times, there'll be no gas spent because all they're doing, they're, they're, there's, there's, you'll see a transaction with zero gas in it because their mining pools are just kind of manipulating the system so that they can get these transactions through without paying any gas. You know, because they own that, because yeah, they own enough hash power to be able to do it. Increase the hands of the miners. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And yeah. now they can't do that. Now, in order for them to get that transaction through, they have to at least pay the base rate. Right, so at least some portion of that profit is now burnt, and not in the hands of these, you know, profiteers that are just dumping the Ethereum they're getting and and lowering the price. Right? Yep. I mean, how much just how much has it been burnt so far? I I, I want to say like I can tell you right now. I want to say it's in the, in the tens of millions, probably more. Sixty six thousand seven hundred seventy seven F. How much is that in U.S. dollars? Gosh, what's huh. that like? Uh, one point eight million, that, I think. That, is that no more than that? I think it's one point eight million. I think it's more than that. Maybe is it's eighteen, 18 million. million? Two hundred million. <laughs> oh, yeah, two, yeah, dude, that's not one million, Royce. Wrong. Like, You're at, way at, off, at, Royce. At three, at three thousand. You were missing two <laughs> zeros, dude. Dude, $200 million dollars. Hey, okay, I, so you think know about what? this. As as my astronomy professor used to say. Close enough for government work. <laughs> you know what? You did but, but suck see. in our statistic class in college, so I don't know, you're terrible in that class. Hey, but Steve, let, let me just make this final point, right? Okay, two hundred million dollars worth of Ethereum has been burnt in the last two weeks. Two weeks. Okay, we're just talking about two weeks here, like you said, you know, like in like a total recall. Two weeks. Right. Two weeks. All right. In those two weeks. 200 million so what 100 million dollars worth of ethereum is burnt every week yeah now that's 100 million dollars worth of ethereum being sold every week before 1559 by miners and Correct. and other people extracting value yeah. from the ecosystem right from yeah, ethereum's dumped, ecosystem right. right right and now you've got all that money burnt away right they're just burnt no and no one you know they're not no just everyone that owns ethereum is basically getting a piece of that pie now yeah it goes to the protocol it goes to the protocol and so, a hundred million dollars a week of sell pressure gone. That is tremendous. Yep. And it's only for been sure, two weeks. Sure. Now think about it for a whole year, right? Fifty-two weeks, right? Well, I'm thinking about the end of the year. You know, you're talking about potentially another update coming to Ethereum. How do I? I don't see how that doesn't lead up to another big run-up. Yeah, it's not just a hype anymore because this has mm-hmm. real. This is changes in their monetary policy. Right. This isn't just something you can kind of like, you know, say, oh, well, you know, it's hype and it goes away. No, it doesn't go away. This is fundamentally changing the way 
that emission is coming, you know, the way that Ethereum works, the, the inflation, the monetary policy, how it's issued, its issuance, is changing the fundamentals of the token. Yep. So it's kind of like when Fed raises interest rates or lowers interest yep. rates. That has lasting impact on everyone. You know, every company, every, you know, any large company, any even small, everyone, right? Whether you're borrowing money from the government or you're... Uh, running a business, but think about on that on that note. Think about all that bluster about interest rates in the last twelve months, and here we are sitting at one point two seven on the ten year bond. After all that hubbub of you know that ran it up to one point five, and everyone worrying about running, you know, the market was going to run away, and the interest rates going to get out of control. I'm like, here we are, one point two seven, barely anything. And then in the crypto market, I can go in Gemini and get an APY of 7%. Wow. Yeah, um, wow. That's pretty good. You know, 7% to do absolutely nothing with my money. Now you see why people want to get into cryptos, right? That's that's why I think there's so much more room to go. Because people are looking at those interest rates they're getting at banks and going, wait a minute, I can get how much at Gemini? Just, just putting my dollars there? Percent. 7.4% and it's and it's going to be held by State Street so it has FDIC protection up to $250,000. Yeah, Gemini does. I mean, if you if you have dollars, there's no reason why your dollars shouldn't be in why? correct. stablecoin earning interest. Correct. correct. But look, the stablecoin market is the stablecoins are the gateway drug mm-hmm. to this whole industry. I mean, if you, you know, if you, if that's not a good analogy, but you know, you know what I mean. Though, that right? is a good analogy. It's it is good. Analogy. Actually, it is a good yeah, analogy. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but it's the gateway drug, right? You 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 buy the stable coins, you get the seven percent or whatever it is at Gemini, oh, oh. Right. and then you go, wait a minute, can I do better? Right. right. I got the seven percent, which is great. I don't take any risk. But yep. what if I take a little bit of risk? Right. right. What if I start lending that out? Right. Yep. Now, how much can I get? Right. Yep. Oh wait, but what if I provide liquidity? What if I start yield farming? How much can I earn? So, I mean, the those fact are natural that you can pay 7.4%, that tells you how much liquidity is out there or how much opportunity is out there to make on the loan side. Yeah, because if someone can take your dollars and pay you 7% for it, oh, they must be, they're making, <laughs> they're probably making 10, 20, 30% on that 7% right, right. they're buying from you. They're fivefold, they're fivefold on that 7%. Yeah, because they have a way to, you know, and and so you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. And 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 Royce is right too. Like if you, you know, why wouldn't you? Why would you be putting anything in dollars today? Why would you well, want to own dollars bank, when you bank. can earn? Why would it be sitting in your bank account as a savings account, especially if you can transfer it to something that has the same protections of your bank account? Yeah. the 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 killer The killer thing there is that the money that the bank makes off of your money when you deposit it there and they're earning interest on it. Instead of that going to the bank, that's mostly going to you now instead. Yep. And that's that's the big draw of, of DeFi and earning yield. You cut out the middleman. You cut out the middleman, right. yep. Now, on that same note, can you guys explain the risks of running your own DeFi loan or getting involved with providing you know, cash or, or stable coins for DeFi? Like how, Royce, you do your farming and... And all that stuff. Can you guys explain to the audience kind of how that works? If you want to get beyond that 7.4%, how do you make more money on it without necessarily buying more crypto? Well, I, I think in general, uh, there, there's a general risk of, 
investing in these DeFi platforms, and that's the smart contract risk. Uh, there's always a risk of hacks, uh, your money getting you know stolen. Uh, so th- that's that's one of the bigger risks, uh, I think. Uh, but outside of that, if you're talking about like higher yield opportunities, typically that does mean higher risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like Ken was talking about, when you're providing liquidity, you're pri- you're providing a pair of uh, you know tokens basically, and based on people buying or selling at a token, you know you're going to go up in value on one side of the token, but go down in value on the other side of the token. So like. You can get some loss that way, uh, or you know the market could tank and you know you, you lose a ton that way too. Um, so it's 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 definitely a risk reward kind of thing. Um, the, typically, the higher yield, like there's some yields that are six thousand six hundred sixty six thousand, but <laughs> for the amount of risk you're gonna take on. You know, it's the risk you take on is great on some of these things. So you have to you have to really be careful. Can you lose more than you put in? No, I think like, it's uh, just a it's just a different types of risks, right? I mean, you know, um, like if if you're in traditional finance, you know, when you if you if you want to earn interest on your on your money, you know, you can you know. Safely give it to a bank and get your CDs. You know they'll they'll pay you like 05 percent or something on a CD, uh, or you can go to something like Lending Club or or Prosper, where you can lend it out. You know peer to peer loans and earn a little bit more. Depend you know based on people's FICO scores and stuff, you can you can lend it out and maybe earn I don't know five ten percent or something like that. Um, and the risk is different, right? The risk is defaults, right? It's always defaults, always. And right. you know people don't pay back their loans, right? Because they're not collateralized. Um, and when you when you do that in in, in crypto in DeFi, um, the loans are typically collateralized. There's there are there's a growing segment of uncollateralized uh, loans that are kind of mm-hmm. appearing a product for uncollateralized loans. True. For for the well, most part today, right? yeah, for Trust Token, yeah. there's there's a few projects that are doing uncollateralized loans. But for the most part, like Aave, Compound, some of these larger projects with several billion dollars worth of you know total lock value. Um, they're they're providing you know better interest rates than you know traditional finance um, for the most part, but they're also it's also collateralized, meaning there's no chance of default, right? Um, it's actually it's actually over collateralized. It's over right? it's over yeah so, exactly it's over collateralized. Yeah. So if there's if it ever reaches a threshold where there, your risk is at loan or your loan is at risk of of the um, you know being defaulted on or or whatnot. The loan will get liquidated, which means you ha- you're basically guaranteed to get your your money back. You're made whole. You're made whole. Made whole. Exactly. So they'll sell off the, the the collateral and give you back your money, and so right. you don't take any of that risk of the defaults happening or someone not paying back your paying back their loans because their collateral's there. So if the collateral drops in value to a point where you don't have enough collateral, then you'll just get you know they'll get liquidated and you'll get you made whole. So. So that's that's a great part about DeFi, and that's why a lot of people want to get because they get better rates and they get more of a guarantee that they're going to get their money back, and and it's you know usually not locked long term, so you can do it like if you go to Prosper, it's usually a three year loan or Lending Club, like it's one to three years, sometimes five year loans. Mm-hmm. So you you can't you don't see your money for like you know for a long time. In right. DeFi, you 
pretty much you can take it out the next minute. <laughs> like you can put it in and say, you know what? I changed my mind. I'm not going to do right, this. Right. I don't want to do it. Or or I need the money for something else. And you could just take right, it out right. like the next minute, you know, and say, you know, I changed my mind. And so um, there's a lot of things that you would, you're, you know, it's, there's different types of risk, kind of like the stuff Royce talked about, which is, you know, the smart contract, the, you know, being buggy or, or hacks or rug pulls or something like that. Um, but, you know, there's also kind of a really nice benefits to doing these type of loans in DeFi. Well, what else is new with you guys? Let's kind of transition out of this Ethereum uh, conversation. And how are things going in California for you guys? Oof, boy. Well. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you don't read the news, then it's great. Things are great. Just it's, don't turn it. Don't turn on the news. Don't go to a news website and you'll be fine. Yeah, I don't know if we want to, we want to get into that. Oh, boy. What's oh, really going to sure. go <laughs> Sure. <laughs> I might Steve's start stirring the pot. Will, will, you guys, will you guys get offended if I just start drinking straight from the bottle? I, start, <laughs> like, I just don't want to get a cup. I like that. You're holding the up a bottle, bottle of whiskey there. That's nice. Yep. Yep. Hey, Ken, the, la- the last... You guys start talking about California, pod- <laughs> I'll be sipping my whiskey, all right? <laughs> the last podcast we did, Ken, he didn't have a shirt on. Oh. <laughs> so it's... I think Royce and I have been talking a lot about politics. Um, you know, we, we generally are not. We we try not to, to you know, because you could go down a rabbit hole and get really, Careful. really, yeah. You could just get really frustrated with the, the way things are going in the world. 100%. And I, I think, uh, you know, the, the major event that's happened recently is, of course, Afghanistan, right? Yeah. And, and the U.S. pullout. And I think, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I should you know, voice my opinion here or not because I don't want to offend anyone. I don't get canceled. I don't, <laughs> I don't want people to come after <laughs> I think, me. I, I think you're at low <laughs> risk of the, <laughs> the cancel part, but I don't know. Well, I would just say, I was, I will say one thing about the press conference that, you know, President Biden had when he was at the first press conference when he was asked about, you know, what happened in Afghanistan. And I, you know, I thought it was interesting. The interesting I, thing I found was, he said the buck stops with me, but it's all these other people's fault. And I thought, well, that's an interesting way of taking have of you know taking taking you know accountability for what you did, right? The buck stops with me, but you know Trump signed the peace agreement, and I was you know and and we so I had no choice. And then you know on top of that, the Afghan, Afghan the Afghan army didn't fight well or just gave up or something you know like they they didn't do their jobs you know defending the country so there's this fault too and then uh, on top of that the Taliban was just too strong for us so you know we we didn't see we didn't think he'd be that they'd be that strong you know like they would just come and just conquer um that's an interesting way of like handling of, of saying that buck stops with me because that's just it's the a, opposite of that you know like that's literally blaming way. it's like it's like a baseball game and saying oh man you know i'm the manager you know we lost we got crushed but you know the buck stops with me because i'm the manager but but, you know he was 0 for 4 our best player was 0 for 4 you know and he dropped the ball in the infield and then oh my gosh the umps were terrible they gave all these bad calls you know but you know what the buck stops with me because it's my fault you know but you know like that's just like ridiculous like i hear that and i'm just like that does not take any responsibility no like the the example the example that i that i give is like if Tom Brady came to a press conference after a game they lost and he's like, you know, my line couldn't block, 
The defense couldn't stop anybody. My wide receivers dropped all the balls. The running back couldn't find an open space. The coach called terrible plays. But the buck stops with me, guys. <laughs> it's so laughable, it's my right? Fault. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what I would have... his ass out of the locker room. Yeah, I mean, like, Steve, what I would have loved to hear from President Biden was really just to say, just, just, just tell like it is, you know, just own it and say, look, um, the situation was difficult and... You know, we made some mistakes. Our intelligence was, was you know, didn't, you know, wasn't right or we didn't get it right. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, here's what we're going to do to remedy that. Here's what we learned from those mistakes. Here are all the things that we're going to try to do to fix it, right? To, 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 but, but, you know, we own it though. We own it because it happened under our watch, under my watch, and um, it shouldn't have happened under my watch. I, sh- you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a painful learning that, you know, it's going to make me better because I'm going to learn from this experience and and and, and try to mend for it, right? Try to fix it and try to do the right things from now on. Because um, that would have, you know, I would have looked at that and go, okay, all right, I understand, right? This is a tough job, right? It's a tough job to, to be the president and and make decisions uh, sometimes on the fly. And, and you know, I, I would I would be more understanding. And to me, that would be that would be taking accountability, right? And I think I think other people would be. Like the press and, and you know just the general public will be more amenable to that type of tone to kind of you know drop you know be more humble about it and just say you know what it's kind of obvious what happened so just own it right just own it and move on. I mean, I mean own the it. The finger the finger pointing thing. I, I was hoping that we were just past that. You know, I, I was ho- I was hoping in the political landscape that we were gonna try to start moving away from that. But once he went there, I was like, man, you're just opening the door. So all I heard today, like listening on NPR, I listen to NPR every day. And, you know, NPR does a decent job of letting everyone from each side talk. And, you know, so the Republicans are like, are you serious? Like, did you really stand up there and just point your fingers at us, at Trump and everybody? It's like, ah. you know, I, there's so many ways to handle this. And along the same lines of what you said, like if he had started by saying, hey, we spent almost $6 trillion on this war and we haven't been able to reach the objectives that we wanted to under four presidencies, you know, and, and it somehow said a way like there might not be a real smooth way to get out of here or what have you. But yeah, like you said, take some responsibility for everybody. That this, this this just didn't work out the way we hoped it was. And 20 years later, we're exiting, you know? And and he's the president. Yeah, yeah. If there's something he didn't want to, he didn't like about what the previous administrations did, he could change it. He could go out and say, you know what? I don't like the way, I don't I don't like this peace agreement. I don't, or, or, or have a different plan for the pullout, right? Like, I want a different date. I want to, I, know, I want to have more troops there to, uh, yeah. to yeah, make sure we have a good joking. pullout. Did you just say have a different plan for the pullout? You, you want to talk <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> all right, let's keep this PG, all right, guys? <laughs> I, I, def- I definitely think Biden needs a better PR guy. Like, that's, that speech was terrible. Oh, was really bad oh for sure. Whoever oh wrote that speech should be fired. It, it was the worst thing you could do. And one of the other bad things that he mentioned, that Ken, you kind of mentioned too, is that he blamed the Afghans. Yeah, you can't do that. Like, you can't do well, that. Why would you do that? Like those are allies. Those are those are the people that are we're working with and we've been yeah. working with for so many years, right? I mean, I don't think anyone's really I mean, we could debate whether or not it was right to pull out. 
of or take our troops out, right? It was right, that's right. debatable. But what's not debatable is the execution of this of this, you know, of this evacuation is just is horrendous. It was, I mean, yeah, well, you know, it wasn't it, great. It, you know, so like uh, I want to have make another point though. Actually, is that uh, we've been saying a lot that oh well, you know, we've been spending twenty years here. We haven't accomplished what we wanted to. We don't even really know what we wanted to accomplish here. Yeah. But what if the 20 years that we spent there... Well, let me actually take that back a little bit. So I think in general, humans, you know, we are very reactionary as a species, right? We praise the, the firefighters that go in and put out the fire. But we don't do anything about the people that actually prevent fires right, from even happening in the first place. And what if by us being in Afghanistan for the last 20 years, we prevented terrorists from organizing and planning additional attacks against America? Wouldn't you consider that a success? And so now if we pull out of Afghanistan and that leads to terror attacks in America down the road, to me, that's a huge failure. I mean, that's going to be the question, right? Let's say there is another big attack on our soil. One of the pundits would be saying, like, will this have happened if we were still in Afghanistan? Yes. I don't know, right? There's no... Yeah, I, I mean... mean say, I don't know what the right answer is, but I, I know I mean, they'll say that. I know I that's know the question, yeah. Yeah, they'll, they'll bring the question up. So... Yeah, Matt, when I heard Biden's speech, the first the first word that came to mind was arrogance. I just felt like it was kind of arrogant. Um, like, I know more than you. I'm I'm in charge. It wasn't, you know... Considering what happened, I don't think that was the right tone, right? You know, you, you should be empathetic to what happened and, and you know, especially to our allies, especially to people who are suffering, right? And that's not what I heard. You know, I would have liked to hear it. I would have liked to hear some empathy, right? But that's like, I, the word that came to mind was arrogance. I just, right. defiance and arrogance and, you know, you guys don't know as much as I do. I know what's going on. I'm in charge. I, you know, and it's just like, yeah, that, that bled into the execution of the plan, too, because we did not even communicate with any of our allies. And we left them <laughs> scrambling exactly. to figure out like how they're going to get their people out, right? And if you look at the reports out of like Germany and the UK now, like they're basically saying, like, hey, we need to evaluate our relationship with the U.S. because obviously, you know, we thought we were in this together. And the U.S. made a, bilateral, a unilateral decision to get out without even consulting us or even telling us. Yeah. That's awful. Yeah. I've never heard all the media, like all like CNN, Fox, USA Today, U.S. Agreed, News, agreed. News, NPR, like they all agree on this. <laughs> like, that's never happened. I can't remember the last time so I guess, that has I guess, happened. I guess he unified the nation in a way that he did. It's so funny. I, I was showing one thing in his campaign. What a unified the nation. He unified the press at least. It was universal. The press all. Like every single one of them had the same reaction to yeah, yeah. to what happened, and every you know, like it's funny like comparing the headlines to these different like I was showing Royce these different headlines all pretty much saying the same thing, and I'm like, are you sure? Am I reading? Is this right? Is this really CNN? Is this really MSNBC? Like, is this really like? Other, like don't, they never agree. Like yeah. now they've all agreed. Well, I mean, I spent a little bit talk, spent a lot of time talking about a sub, a subject related to this that deserves conversation is the women's rights issue. You know, you have women there that are 20 years old now that have been fed the idea that they're free, they can, they have the free will to do whatever they want. And now 
if the Taliban comes in and does what they did before, which they say they're not going to, whatever. You know they're not. Um, you know they're going yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, do, do what you do trust, you say to that woman? Do you trust what do you them? say to that 20-year-old? Sad. It just makes you sad. It just, you just, yeah, yeah. you know, like, we, we talk about all these great virtues and great uh, philosophies, you know, about, you know, empowering women, right? Empowering, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, giving people who don't have the opportunity a chance, you know, to succeed. Um, you know, like this whole liberal movement, right? Which is all about women and, you know, the un- underrepresented communities, the LGBTQ um, community. And you're right, like, does that not apply to people in Afghanistan? You know, mm-hmm. people that we we allied, you know, we've been trying to, um, you know, we've, we went to, into their country. Now, we, you're right, we've instilled these ideas um, and, like, this West, these Western ideas, and now we're, we've abandoned them, right? Effectively, we just abandoned them. Mm-hmm. It makes me sad to think that they're just going to be on their own, right? And the Taliban is yeah. not going to be sympathetic to... You know, they're not going to be tolerant or sympathetic. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think the American people were, were presented with a false dichotomy, right? We were told that, uh, or Biden said that we could either pull out all our troops, or we'd have to put in like thousands of more troops, right? But uh, from what I've been reading, like there were uh, a few opinions where, like, if we had kept a small number of four, uh, troops there to provide like air support and logistical support. The Afghans were the ones that were doing the fighting. We could have, you know, helped them and, and, you know, kept the Afghan nation going for a while. But because that was an option, apparently, that was considered or whatever, right? you know, like, it didn't happen. But I think if you gave the American people those options, I think they would say, like, okay, for a limited amount of troops, maybe it's worth it to keep those guys there, you know, keep, you know, you know the women's rights you know, growing in Afghanistan, and I, th- I, mean, I think to, they might have gone along with that. To your point, Royce. To your point about national security, like and world security, really, for the democracies around the world. Like your point about having all these other forces, that allied forces there, and the potential attacks we didn't see in the last twenty years. I mean, is that enough reason to, like you say, leave some behind? And, you know, none of the three of us know the logistics of all this and the, the, the cost of all this. But it doesn't seem like a full pull, you know, pulling of the, all our troops is the most efficient answer here. You know, they yeah. keep saying, well, well, we'll do support, air support through drones and all that. And I, I understand that part. You know, you don't need as many troops for all that stuff. But the presence matters. The other thing that looks bad for Biden, whether it's optics or whether it's what's really happened, is that there's this notion, basically, that he overruled the advice of his generals to do exactly this. That's That's what they're saying. Obviously, we don't really know. I mean, a retired general did come on NPR, I think, yesterday and just roasted him. Just roasted him. I mean, it's, it's hard to argue with the results, right? I mean, you see someone falling off a plane trying, you know, a jam-packed military, pl- you know, transport. Playing on you the know, wheels. Right. They're held onto the wheels. They're so desperate to leave the country that they're they're willing to die like that to, yeah. to, to, to escape the Taliban rule. I mean, that just goes to show how how desperate they were, 
right? They'd rather die than, than be ruled and, and brutalized by that regime. But, but Ken, the Taliban said it was going to be okay. They, they weren't going to do that. Right? Would you would you trust the would you trust the fox to say, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be nice to the chickens in the hen house? You know, they're, they're, like, they're gonna let them through through the airport, right? Yeah. Oh, don't worry. We'll be we'll be nice to the chickens. You're cool. Don't worry. I'm you know, the, we're foxes are cool. We change. We're good now. We'll feed you. We're nice foxes. You know, we're not gonna eat them. Don't worry about it. We're good. No, really, you know, Royce. You guys, you, guys, you guys heard that one point about their money for the Afghan government, though. Where that money yeah. is. I heard it's in the gold or something, right? There's like it's a vault with a bunch of... It's in New York City, right? There's like a big vault yeah, of gold City, in there. City. So the Taliban has no access to the money. Interesting. That is interesting. I wonder if that was planned. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that like was planned, right? It seems like it. Like it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, it's interesting that the Afghan government was okay with that. I guess maybe they saw that coming. <laughs> like, you know? Interesting. It is. But, you know, to, to, but, but Steve, like, I think your your point about... You know, their question about what is that, what is the, this, you know, what does it mean for women in Afghanistan, you know, the the young people growing up there, we've instilled this ideology in that country, and now we're leaving, and leaving them to fend for themselves, um, is that worse than not being there at all? Yeah, don't know. You know, is it, you know, what, is it, is it? You know, is it better that we instill these ideologies in them and then left? Or is it better just not have introduced them at all to these ideas? Because... That's a tough question. Right? I mean, I if the they... Answer, li- answer, yeah. I guess the answer lies in, are there ways to support these women non-militaristically uh, moving forward? And I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. It's it makes me sad. I mean, it, it makes me really sad. sad to think about. <laughs> it sounds really sad. I mean, sad. It's, it's so heartbreaking to yeah, you know hear yeah. about these young women. I saw... Uh, on Twitter, um, just, you know, some of the women, you know, tweeting about, you know, putting, you know, posting videos, you know, talking about how sad, how just, you know, in anguish they are over the situation and how scared and frightened they are and, and what's happening over there. And it's just, you know, it's completely heartbreaking, right? Yep. Yep. Oh, so they, they identified one of the victims who fell from the U.S. plane. He was a 19-year-old national junior football player. Oh my gosh! It's terrible, terrible, man. I mean, you talk about optics. I mean, how does that look? You know, the optics of someone falling—you know, three hundred feet off a plane, or I don't know how how long, how high it was—but you know, falling, falling off the plane like that, hanging on by the wheels or by the side of the plane. I mean, you know, come 2020, 2022, you know, the midterms. You know, these images, these these the optics of that withdrawal is gonna be front and center yeah. right it's yeah pretty yeah. close to we're less than, you know we're we're less than a year away from the campaign time at least where these you know isn't that amazing, isn't that amazing? i know it is amazing yeah, yeah. less than a year i mean so people can start campaigning like later probably end of this year early next yeah, year, end of this, start, year. End of this year right? end of this year you're gonna start campaigning and you don't think these things are gonna be in people's minds they're not gonna forget it that easily it's hard to forget no, I, I i don't i don't think so either yeah. people are saying that basically like with the next news cycle people will forget but I don't think not people are going to forget this. Not this. No. Um, it's so bad. Yeah. So here's another question. Do you think that they consider going back? I don't know how you go back. You'd have to go in basically full force, just the same way that we came in in 2001, probably. Yeah, I don't know how you go back without starting a full-fledged war and not knowing if you're going to get support from the Allies. 
Do you even have allies? What happens well, that's in NATO true. now? That's, yeah. What happens in those conversations now? And everyone's all, you know, everyone's, every country's struggling with COVID still, on top of all that. Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, I'm depressed now. <laughs> no, this, this is why we didn't want to get into this, because well, it's is, depressing. This is why I'm drinking straight from the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Suntory, if you guys want to sponsor us, I'm drinking a Suntory whiskey. <laughs> Man, Steve, that, 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 was a, that was a very good and deep question about, you know, about the Afghan women and the women in our country and the movement that, you know, this women's march that happened in the last uh, cycle, the last election cycle, um, you know, all this, you know, all this, all this conversation about, you know, women's rights, you know. Yep. Um, and here we are in Afghanistan with yep, yep. this Desert brutal government. regime coming in and they're going to hurt the women that don't fall in line. Yep. They're not going to have any of those freedoms that they were, you know, they were experiencing, you know, with, uh, with you know, the U.S. presence there. And the hope they um, were fed. Does that, does that mean that these values and these ideals only apply to Americans? You know, are these only American privileged values? Because... If you're if you're not American, too bad, because these univer- these ideas are not universal. They're just American, just for Americans. That seems kind of selfish to me, right? And self-serving. I mean, it doesn't instill a lot of. It doesn't inspire people. It doesn't feel. It feels just artificial, manufactured. You know, right? right? It doesn't feel right. Yeah, doesn't. Isn't it uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere? Because yeah, right, because you talk about social injustice. What social social justice only applies to people in America, and that doesn't, you know, it just doesn't ring true. Because if you really believed in that, then you know those face, facing you know social injustice in other countries like Afghanistan, which we were a big part of, right? You know, you yep. you talk you call out China for. Um, you know, you know, they're, 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 you know, singling out a certain ethnic, you know, ethnic minority in their country. And we, we call out the human rights, you know, issues with that because they're a political enemy of ours or, or adversary of ours, I wouldn't say enemy, but adversaries of ours. But then when it comes to Afghanistan and someone that we are allied with or we're allied with, you know, does that, you know, suddenly becomes inconvenient for us? Right to say that oh that social injustice you know we just turn a blind eye to that even though it's far worse uh, what the Taliban's doing right to to those you know or likely to do to those women and and those those facing social injustice there right mm-hmm. so do these just become American social justice not social justice universally. Well, it's just a lot of lip service to me uh, sometimes. And you guys are right about the midterm elections. Like a- anyone, any Democrat that's running in the midterm elections, when you bring up these two these two things, the image of people falling off the plane and essentially deserting the women in Afghanistan, how are you going to answer that? How are you going to answer any of those questions? It's great questions. How are you, you know, going to do it? I don't know how you can. Like, it's the li- liberal stance of all liberal stances. So, so maybe we should clarify something up front. Royce and I, I think we are both political independents. I've actually never joined a political party in my life. Mm-hmm. Since I turned 18, I've been unaffiliated with any party. And I've always kind of taken a 
kind of like look at all the sides, look at all the facts kind of approach to everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have an ideology or, or a very specific way of, you know, I don't have a party that I'm loyal to. There's no sense of loyal party for me, at least. Mm-hmm. And I think I suspect Royce is similar. Mm-hmm. Um, Damn, you outed me. <laughs> <laughs> but we talk a lot because I think it's interesting because we take such an unbiased, we try to take a very unbiased yeah. view of yeah. everything, right? Um, and and so I don't want this to be in the in I don't want people to look at this and go well you know these are a bunch of you know Republicans or Democrats you know saying yeah, yeah. no we're we're not partisan we're just people normal yeah, everyday yeah. people using normal everyday common sense and applying it to things that we see that are happening in the world yeah. and and you know that's at least that's what I see. I mean, in general, for, the same goes for me. Like, I, I, I believe in my ability to critically think. So, uh, whatever someone's saying, whether they're middle, right, or left, I just vote for what makes sense to me. And it, and it, it does this, right? It's right. never yeah. here. Yeah. It's never here. It's never here. It's somewhere in between and around, which is how life is. I mean, to me, that's what life is about. Life's never all the way this way or this way. It's somewhere in between. Embrace the, you know, embrace the gray. You know, that's that's way. That's how they teach my students. That's what I teach my athletes and those kind of things. Embrace the gray. It's a pendulum. Yep. It swings back and forth. But do you think this pendulum is going to swing the other way because yes, of that? Do. do you think so? <laughs> yeah. Royce, you seem you seem very um, convinced of that. I'm wondering, I'm curious why. Because it always does. That's just. I think it's just. Uh, Do you think nature. that Royce, though, that we swung both ways now that maybe it'll settle somewhere in the middle? Because we've I think been we on just both sides constantly now. swing. I mean, that's why typically after a Democratic president, you have a Republican president, right? And then after a Republican president, you have a Democratic president. Like we can never. So, so what you're go saying? All the way one what way. you're saying is that our answer is Mark Cuban then for him to run as independent and then just be <laughs> in between. Is that's that definitely not what I said. <laughs> but but Royce, I think I think if the pendulum does swing, it won't be because you know, like I think both sides are very dug in, right? The left and the right, they're very dug into the positions and what they, you know, it's not even about the issues anymore. It's about their side winning, and yeah. not about what's right or wrong. Yeah. I think they're just convinced that they're on that one side and they need to stick to that side, right? Yeah, no, I, I do think that's changed a little bit. I think you're right that. People are more, you know, team oriented now than ever before. Mm-hmm. But I still think that there's a number of independents that help decide elections, right? And you know, they're free to choose between any party. So, well, independents and moderates, right? I mean, the moderates always get run yeah, moderates, yeah, yeah. So, we'll but I, I was just speaking in general. I was in general, like not just you know with Republicans, Democrats, but like just with like this whole social justice thing and like you know everything else that's going on like just back and forth just I think the pendulum people. pendulum will swing because the independents have swung not so much you know the democrats or the republicans i think they're they've dug in so it's just the the, the middle part of that pendulum is going one way or, the, or swing the other way <laughs> yeah maybe i think it's a tough job though i mean when you're a president of the united states yeah it's tough it's, can't please yeah, everyone yeah. you can't please everyone you I mean, like any leader in any situation, you want to talk about a principal at a high school, a CEO of a company, you're not going to please everybody. It, they're, they're just a reality. It's just how you do it. 
I mean, no, no one said that being a president was a, was an easy job. I mean, I I, I actually don't even understand really why people job, really yeah. want that position. That that's just like a really stressful, un, un unappreciated, and just really not an easy job to do, right? Like, uh, you know, I understand being patriotic and wanting to do what's right for your country, and I you know believe in that. But man, that is that is a really tough job, right? Well, so no one I said mean, it was going to be easy. On the other side of the pendulum, other line of spectrum is. Look at look at a country like China, though. You know, look at Hong Kong and look at how much they tried to protest and speak up, and then they got silenced. Like so, no matter no matter what and how bad things are here in the U.S., that doesn't happen here. You know, where just a whole faction just gets silenced and essentially was the way for China just to take over Hong Kong, which we all kind of knew was a little inevitable. Like that, you know, that wink, wink, nod, 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 we'll let you leave you alone in the 90s. You know, that, yeah, Hong Kong, you can be independent, whatever. I mean, if you believe that, like, come on. Hey, Royce, remember that um, that Twitter or that TikTok video I sent you where the guy was, he was listing, he was giving advice about how to take vacations. And he had this spreadsheet, which um, had a ranking of like his top 20 friends that he could go to trips with. And how much yeah, each yeah. of them made, and how much their budget was, and it was ridiculous. Like the number one guy was he had you know was making a year like five million dollars a year. He had a budget of like I don't know hundred grand for the trip, and and it's it's like are they willing to do a private jet? Are they willing to you know um, are they willing to travel to other countries? Are they like it was unbel- like I'm looking at that video and I just thought, oh my goodness, you know like he's I don't think he's trying to he's just. He's trying to seriously give people a tip on how to travel, and like, and at the very bottom of his list, like, it was like the number twenty guy. It was like, was it broke? Like, was his name broke Bob or something? Like broke Barry or something? Rather right? broke something? Yeah. The nickname was broke Barry. He it was, made was like that was Barry it? Bonds after, after he didn't. Get to <laughs> he was making one hundred twenty-five grand, but he's the broke broke Barry or something. Uh, I'm like, how do you? Like number twenty on the list is like a broke dude that makes one hundred twenty five thousand dollars a year. I'm like, that's a pretty good salary, you know, like by most people's standards at least. I mean, Royce, what do we what do we do when we're on vacation, Royce? Uh, <laughs> we go to Wendy's. Um, what else do we hit, do? Hit oh all my god! Uh, hit all those fine field. dining spots like McDonald's and Burger King and <laughs> Jack in a Box and. You beat number twenty one on that list. It was a uh, it was broke Bobby by the way. Broke Bobby, that's it. Broke Bobby. Broke Bobby was the was the the poor guy that you know I, this hilarious like just there's one guy that was like was willing to was was willing to spend one hundred seventy five thousand dollars on a trip, and it was like not, maybe ir, maybe irresponsible. <laughs> maybe yeah. a little, I mean, I, mean, I, I, I would love to be broke Bobby because then I'd be like, you guys got this, cool. Yeah, yeah, I'll just beat off you guys, don't, you know. Yeah. Don't don't forget the guy that was seventy percent uh, single, right? <laughs> but but right, yeah, sorry. <laughs> one guy on the list was seventy percent single. Like, what does, what that, does that mean? Seventy percent single? He had the measure of status on there, like they were married, single, and then one guy was like seventy percent single. <laughs> like, so, so like two days out of the week, he has a girlfriend. Oh, uh, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. I think Royce was. I think to the to uh, Royce's point, you know, in the 1940s, you wouldn't. No one would be compiling a list like that, right? Um, whereas today, you know, oh, some guy oh, on TikTok could be sure. could be doing that. Com- 
the complacency for sure is definitely in in American society and culture. Well, the income inequality too, right? Because like yep. you know, in the nineteen mm-hmm. forties, the you know, people were struggling for the most part. I mean, of course, there was always going to be rich people and poor people, but right, um, right. here, I think you know, there's just a it's gotten worse. The the income inequality in this country is really a problem. It's a real problem. It is. I don't think it's, higher taxes necessarily solves it. You know, it's not even about how much you make; it's about how much you have, right? So yeah, I think people yeah. like War- like Bernie Sanders and, and Elizabeth Warren they're talking about doing wealth taxes, and, and even then, I don't think that really solves the problem. I mean, I really think, and I and I work with a lot of high school, college, young adult ages, and I'm always blown away. And I I know I was very fortunate to grew up in an entrepreneurial environment and have uh you know an aunt that's a, a CPA and all these kind of things so I could learn a lot of things about finance growing up and I understand it but I'm still blown away at how little people in their a lot of youth in their teens and early 20s just don't understand their finances they just don't they just don't get it and they don't know how to make it work and part of it is they haven't been taught and, you know, I really think some of the solution of what we're talking about here is it has to come in education. Like it should be a prerequisite in college and in high school to have classes that are about your finances and how to make it go. Not an elective, a requirement. Yeah. I think a lot of it, level. a lot of it starts at home. Like, I, you know, just a little bit story, you know, from my, my background and, you know, like my mom was a house mom. My dad, I think, you know, his job didn't pay very much. You know, I think he was making $17,000 a year back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually, he made more over time, but he wasn't making very much. So we're a single-income yep, yep. family. My mom didn't work. My dad didn't make very much. Yep, yep. And I always thought, like, you know, growing up, I, I wanted toys. I wanted an allowance, but I never got any of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have two older brothers. So, like, it's interesting because, like, I would see my mom not want to spend any money on anything. You know, very extreme. Frug- like, frugality yep. to the extreme, right? And you're when yeah, you're a kid, you want – like, you don't even want to spend that much. You just want little things, right? A little toy, right. a little – something right nicer clothes or you know some clothes that you like um but it's like i never i was always kind of bitter about not getting the things that i you know just even little things just little toys for christmas things that were just very normal didn't seem excessive you know um so but then as i got older i looked at my mom very differently and i thought well her job was a house mom she didn't make an income but her way of making money was every penny she saved became income, you know, because it's $1 she didn't have to spend. That became a dollar that she earned. And so I could understand if you're trying to, you know, if you look at income that way, then you don't want to spend any money. Right? Like every dollar she saved is a dollar she made. Um, even though my dad didn't make a lot of money, she made every, like she spent almost nothing on anything except, you know, anything extra. And so, you know, I, I understood as I grew up, like, oh, she was just doing her job and she did it really well, right? Because mm-hmm. she didn't want to spend beyond what was absolutely necessary right. um, because right. our budgets were tight. And that's the challenge too, right? Because then at the home, then you can't learn the growth side of money in that situation. And then you get locked into this mentality of, I'm just going to save my way to retirement. Well, saving doesn't get you anywhere in today's world. 
with no yield, with no yield anywhere. Like you think about the plans of retirement people have, the dreams of retirement. Oh, I'm just going to live off my retirement plan and I'm just going to move all my money to fixed income. Well, there's no fixed income you move your money into. You have to stay invested in whatever you choose your investment to be. And, and, and the same thing's happening in your pension funds, even if you don't know it. I mean, they have to keep investing. Uh, and, and you replenish because life expectancy is higher and there's nowhere else there's yield. So you got to keep making money. Uh, you know, and I think it, our generation was fed. We we're probably the last generation to be fed this. I'll oh, put the money into your, your uh, 401k and about 60, you're going to move into fixed income and you'll be okay. Uh, no, that's not true. Yeah, it's not true. And so I because I know people our age that are looking at retirement 20 years from now or so and be like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to just pull our money out. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, don't do that. <laughs> like, that's not going to work. It's all about risk adjusted returns now. Right. Yep. And yeah, and that's not really a concept that the older, like you said, the, the, the generation that came before us. They were savers. Um, didn't really understand. Yeah, because because they were savers, you know, because they had to be. Yeah, we didn't have that much money to go around. Right. You, Royce, you talked about going through some of your parents' old stuff. You know, my mom tells me stories about when she was a kid, a, a slice of bread was her lunch. Her sl one slice of Love's Bread. So when Love's Bakery went down last year, that's a little emotional for my family and I. You know, that, yeah. that you know for my mom, like, that was her lunch. One slice. Yeah. That's it. So now, you know, you know when she became, you know, she... When she was a single parent and had to run her own business, that was when she was left as a single parent. My dad passed. The business wasn't profitable, and when the time came where things turned, you know, for us, how we celebrated is with food. We just order way too much food. Like Royce has seen it. If Royce goes to a restaurant with me, I'm going to order five dishes too many. <laughs> but you know, Steve, does it mix like hearing you tell your story and then I told my story and I'm sure Royce has tons of stories you know of frugality in his past right right, right. I wonder I wonder if these stories are because the, the last generation to really experience this has told us those stories we don't have our own stories to tell people like our kids growing up they're not going to ever see us struggle the way that our parents struggled or our, our, or our grandparents struggled you know, where, Correct. like you said, one slice of bread. My my dad had one pair of shoes a year, and she, he walked two miles to school every day. Correct. Right? And one, so he had to go barefoot one, once yeah. once the shoe wore out. And he had one egg. When he had an egg, he said, when he had an egg, it was like, he just had rice. Treat, but treat. when he had egg, it was like a treat. treat. That was like a great dinner when he had well, an I, egg I, I, in it. I tell you what, though, that those stories or that mentality is 100% ingrained in me. <laughs> just like, but, but we have no one to Just like I had my shoes from college. Those basketball shoes from college, I had them until like the three questions? years ago, maybe. The yeah, those questions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wore those things out so. No, but so I mean, so I mean, to your question, Ken, like, well, I mean, we we do have stories to share because our reality when we were younger is not the reality our kids, you and I, with, with kids, are gonna have. So now the challenge becomes, when you look at what the struggle was for, for the generation before you, your parents, it was to get you in a better position, right? So it's about telling the stories of your parents to your kids. And then it's also about telling how you had, your, what your feelings were growing up to where you are now and how you're not, even when you make money, you're not going to just blow money because you understand this is what we have to do and you teach them. 
And, you know, for me, like my stories are going to be a lot about like I grew up, there were summers where I worked 80 hours a week, you know, in a family business and still tried to play sports. And so the thing that, you know, gets sacrificed is time with friends. There's a lot of times where I didn't get to go out. And for so socially, sometimes, you know, when you miss out as a teenager and stuff, that affects you in a way where you have to learn how to to kind of get some, you know, resilience and figure out the bigger picture at a younger age. And, you know, when I think about my son, I, I do have to think about ways where I have to bring some or put him in situations where some, some adversity is going to come out. Because he's definitely not going to be raised in a way where it's like, hey, just go school, get your grades, and everything's going to work out dandy. Because I don't believe in that. Because I just, you know, it's just not how I, how I was how I was raised. It's not how I grew up. You know. But is it different that you hear about it? Like you hear stories secondhand about your grandpa oh, sure. versus watching your parents struggle, watching this oh, sure. happening. Because I watched it, right? And so it's very deep. Like just like Roy's, like. You know, oh, sure. We watched our parents. We watched, We, right. you know, For we sure. did. We, it directly impacted us. It's, sure. It wasn't just yep. we hear about it, kind of interesting. Okay, cool. No, it's like I didn't get shoes this year, or I didn't get the shoes I wanted this year. I didn't get new folders for school because we couldn't afford it. My mom, mom it didn't is, have the it. It is the bane of progress, though, right? That is the bane of progress, right? Some people try to do it by taking kids to do volunteer work in, in underserved areas, but I don't think that goes very far. To be quite honest, I think that's a lot of stuff to make rich people feel good about themselves half the time. Uh, you know, you, you know, the, the challenge of making progress is is what, we, what we've been talking about a little bit. Like, how do we show our kids like, hey, it ain't always going to be easy. And, you know, you do have it easier than I had it. And you definitely had it easier than your grandparents had it. And some of it's about being directive, though, having a directive of. You have this opportunity now. Make make great use of it, whatever that means. It doesn't mean necessarily make more money, but be a productive person in society. You know that would probably be one of my more bigger lessons to my son growing up: is be a productive person. You can have more resources than I had growing up. You'll definitely have more than your grandparents did growing up. So now this is your opportunity. Be productive. You know, and it's about the empathy. It's about teaching that that type of social growth and giving us situations where they can grow emotionally and socially. And, you know, but that is a challenge, but it's a, which challenge would you rather have? It becomes the question too, right? Do you want to be struggling week for week or do you want to try to figure out, all right, how am I going to kind of put my kids in situations where they got to build up some resilience and life will do it to them, you know, and just hopefully give them enough tools to kind of get past it when it happens. Those are some deep thoughts, Steve. That's, you know, I'm, hey, I'm with you. That's what happens when you work with kids all the time. Yeah, no, I, and I, yeah, I agree yeah. with you 100%. 100%, you know. And my kids are entitled because right now, you know, it's, you know, they're not going to experience the kind of life that, you know, when I grew up or my parents grew up, you know. And so what will they, what will it be that will get them, like what will test them, right? Mm-hmm. Um and I don't, you know, gonna be, it's, you know, I, I, my kids are too young to kind of, you know, like I think the people, the kids you work with are probably a little bit older. So, you know, but I, that's, those are questions I'm going to have to think about, right? Like what's going to challenge my right. kids to make them more yeah. complete people, right? You want them right. to be complete, you know, to be as, you know, as complete as possible and have, you know, experiences from all different types of uh, influences, right? You want them to be kind of well-rounded people. 
Um, right. So it's 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 tough. It's a tough job to, to expose it's them to that. Bad. This is why Royce won't have kids. kids. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Roy. It's not too late, man. It's not too mess late. Them up. I don't want to mess him up, man. <laughs> or, or, or kids he knows I've only of. Said that, I've only said that because we've had conversations about it. <laughs> or he might not have kids that he knows yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, let's not do it. <laughs> I'm just playing, man. No, Royce is a good I might, guy. I may have, I may have Ken, picked Ken, some geographies Ken. there. <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. Let's play your leg. No, but it is. It's a challenging job, and I, you know, uh, and and I know some of the parents of the kids I work with listen to the show, and and I tell them, I said, I mean, it's not an easy job, and they've they've all in their own way done a great job with their kids. I mean, who's going to be perfect? No one's going to be perfect with this, you know. And I, I believe one of the biggest things that everyone can at least model for their kids is how to be a good worker, and how to be empathetic. If you can kind of handle and, and drill in those two things you're off to a pretty good start in raising a decent human being um but the rest is hey life comes in and hopefully you taught him enough so ken you you're saying that you kind of had a little limited time with us are we kind of up to your limit here i think so man i think i'm at my limit here um but yeah, no, it's great to be back on the show and talking to you guys. And you're a three timer, our... man. You're in a three timers club. A three timers club. All right, dude. <laughs> Looking forward to number four. Whatever. Yeah. Hey, when you guys need me back because you need a little bump in the Ethereum's price or Bitcoin's price, you just <laughs> just give me a call, right? I'll, I'll try to work my magic on on the cryptos for you guys. Well, wow. and, and, and for the record, at eight fifteen Hawaii time, Ethereum on August nineteenth, Ethereum is at thirty two thirty two eighty six. Royce predicts. It. Oh, Royce man. told me that it's going to be 10k by the end of the year, so I'm going to hold him. <laughs> I did not tell you that. I'm, <laughs> I'm a little more conservative. That I think 5k is where we're going to be. Royce and, said 10k, 10K, so that's what I'm shooting for. 10k. I think 10k that, is in sight to the beginning of next year, though. 10, 10k would 10k would be ridiculous. I don't know if my magic is that powerful, but I'm going to do my yeah, best. But, but if it is, you're going to be on here like at least five more times. <laughs> Get us to 5K, Ken. That's well, next ask. time I'll be on the show, next time I'm on the show, Ethereum will be 5K. All right, so you, you could bring me back when it's 5K, okay? We'll do. See you in about two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, Ken, well, thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate your time. All right, see you guys. Thanks All for right, having me. You. Sorry for to the audience if that got a little heavy or deep for you, and that's not usually what we normally do. Yeah, pretty serious today, man. So, so serious, man. You guys got serious at the end. Why are you so serious? No, well, you know the politics thing. Why and... so serious? Oh, man, I don't know. You started talking about your Iversons, that's why, and that you know, <laughs> dude, I your Iversons. I have always... that. I have that mentality that I I couldn't throw away shoes. So I had like three or four pairs of like rundown Iversons for like the longest time. I had all these other shoes. But finally, I was able to get over it and threw them away. <laughs> and then, then I got new ones. New pair. Then I got new ones. Yeah, yeah. exactly, so, exactly so, the same new shoes. So I have two pairs of the the, the blue toe Iversons. So I'll never not have a pair. I have one that I'll keep on ice for now, and one that I wear. And then when that one that I wear wears out, I'll wear it. I got another one. Can't do that stuff. Can't do that in Hawaii. You know, if you leave a shoe, if you leave a shoe unworn in Hawaii, eventually the thing just disintegrates on its own. <laughs> Okay, I guess I can't go to Hawaii then. 
Speaking of which, you will be here in about seven days, a week, aren't you? Seven days. That's exciting. I'll be on a plane. We can record our first show while we're in the same room together. We can definitely do that. Just make sure you put on a shirt this time. <laughs> well, I was just going to take my pants off, but hey, you know. <laughs> well, that too. Keep your pants on, dude. <laughs> I mean, you don't even know if they're on now. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, and I don't want to know. <laughs> they kind of they kind of smell like food, not going to lie. There was a point where I kind of thought, you know what? I had off these, man, because I was wearing them when I was cooking for my private cooking client today. Yeah. And all I smell is his lunch. <laughs> Not well, that's not lie. a bad thing necessarily. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, there, it did cross my mind. It did. Not gonna lie. But any last uh, thoughts, Royce, before we kind of wrap up this show? Nothing much. Nothing much. No, today's show was uh, pretty deep, and I think I need to recover. <laughs> I think so. I'm about to take a few more sips from the bottle. I think. Uh, yeah. And again, we're not supporting alcoholism or providing uh, financial advice on the show by the way but we're not not supporting alcohol <laughs> yeah something like that we'll leave it at that <laughs> are, you, are you talking about our vegas trip in october right now or anyway i'm lost i don't understand yeah. i don't understand anymore all righty all right royce we'll see you later thank you everybody for listening all right thanks guys <laughs>